your Bible to Matthew chapter 1, and I'm sure everybody knows about <clears throat> uh, Charles Dickens' movie, you know, The Ghost of Christmas Past. <clears throat> well, I'm going to talk to you about something. There's only one ghost in the Bible, and he's the Holy Ghost. So we won't talk about ghosts here, but we will talk about grace, because when you come to Matthew chapter 1, I want to show you that Christmas has a past. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, just look at verse 1, it says this, The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, when you, if ever you on January or before January desire to start to read your Bible, I always recommend you start in Matthew. You read one, two, three, four chapters. I would recommend do four chapters a day. Sometimes you only get two in. Sometimes you'll do five or six. But start in Matthew. But I know you because this is the chapter that is the skipped chapter. Because as soon as you start reading, you go, Abraham began Isaac, and Isaac began Jacob, and Jacob began Judas, and you go, forget it. And often we forget these people. See, history is not filled with events. History is filled with people. And people, when they read the Bible, they skip over the names because they mean nothing to us, usually, at least most of them. But this is the family history of the Messiah. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ. These are the people in the line of the King of Kings, the Savior of the world. And unless you read through the Old Testament as well, Read through the New Testament, but as soon as you finish Revelation, go back to Genesis. Because all of these people come from the Old Testament, and they are part of Christmas's past. The background leading up to Christmas. When you are reading your Bible, I'm going to give you a heads up, you're reading about the lives of imperfect people who yielded their lives into God's hands over and over, so that Matthew chapter 2 would happen. Go to chapter 2 and verse 1. Now when Jesus was born at Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. This is probably the best known part of the Christmas story, the wise men coming, verse 2, saying, where is he that is born? And the next words, what does it say? King of the Jews. For we have seen this star in the east and are come to worship him. Matthew chapter 2 wouldn't happen if Matthew chapter 1 didn't take place. And Matthew chapter 1 took a 2,000 years to come together. Let's pray. Father, one more time, I ask you to bless the preaching of your word. Help me be a blessing and encouragement. Help me preach with your power this morning so that we would hear and that we would humble ourselves at the grace of God. One more time. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me read it again, verse 1, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. When Matthew writes the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, he's, he's saying this is the record of God's grace that gave the world the Messiah. This is a record of grace. What a record it is because Christmas has a past. Now, if I found out about all your past, both of us might be embarrassed. But Christmas has a past. It has a history. It has skeletons in its closet. Jesus did not come through a perfect family tree. He has a messed up family tree. 
There were a lot of messed up lives. As a matter of fact, there are 42 generations listed in this, this brief portion of this chapter here. All of them were sinful. All of them were messed up people. But if you look closely, you'll find God's grace active in every generation. Let's define grace for a moment. Grace is a kindness that you cannot earn. Grace is a kindness that you cannot possibly earn. It is always a gift. That's what grace means. It is a gift of kindness given to somebody who does not deserve it. And it is so needed. Because most of the time, the problems in our homes, the problems in our church, the problems in society are because people have not earned our kindness. You haven't earned my kindness to you. Therefore, we won't give them our kindness. And boy, do we need to turn that around and make it into grace. Somebody may fail and they need to earn trust again after they have failed, but they can never earn kindness. Do you understand what I'm saying? Kindness is never something that has to be earned before you give it. The bitterness, the infighting, the biting, the devouring among Christians, among husband and wives is a cancer because we do not understand grace. We're waiting for somebody to earn our kindness, and that is of the devil. So to understand grace, you have to understand that kindness is given to us by God on the basis of only one thing, his character, not ours. You see, he gives it because that's what he's like. I don't get kindness because I earned it. I get it because that's the kind of God he is. Matthew is going to divide Israel's history now in these next few verses, down to verse 18. He's going to divide Israel's history into three groups of people. Every one of these lies have a past, as I've said. They all have skeletons in their closet. They have something that is wrong in their home, in their faith. How many of you, when you started coming to church and you picked up the Bible and you thought of St. Peter, St. Paul, they were perfect people. You thought of St. Mary. You thought all of the people in the Bible were nearly perfect. And then you read the Bible. And you were surprised and it kind of shook you. And you go, how come that's in the Bible? Why is David in the Bible? Why is Moses, he murders a man. What is all this? It's people. And then God's grace covering it, fixing it. They're not perfect people here we're about to read, but they are God's people. And they're part of a plan that God put in motion way back in Genesis in order to repair what Satan has destroyed. So let's talk for a moment about this first group. Once I get there. And this first group here from verse 2 on for the next four verses, five verses, is the beginning of Israel. And it starts with Abraham and goes to David. Let me just going to read what we rarely read as a Christmas story. It's all part of the Christmas story because this is the past bringing us to Christmas. Verse 2, Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob. Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. And Judas begat Perez and Zara of Tamar. And Perez begat Ezra, and Ezra begat Aram, and Aram begat Abinadab, and Abinadab begat Nassan. And Nassan begat Salmon, and Salmon begat Boaz of Rechab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat, ah, there's a familiar name, David, the king. 
Now, we, we know about Abraham. He's the father of the Jewish people. He was a man who believed God and obeyed him and followed him to a land that he'd never seen before. It's called the promised land, where the Jews are now. And there, Abraham begat a son named Isaac. Isaac was a miracle child because Abraham was 100 years old. Sarah was 90 years old. It was pretty hard to have a baby. And there was Isaac. Problem was, that was not Abraham's first child, was it? See, there's some past there. Abraham got anxious, got confused, got panicky. His wife got panicky. And they just rushed the thing and got Hagar and then had a baby. And it's Ishmael. And the Middle East has never been able to be at rest because of Ishmael and Isaac. Muslims and the Jews. Abraham has a past. He's not so faithful after all. He kind of has some history there. But God's grace covered Abraham's flaw and still said, I'm going to stay with this because Abraham was soft towards God. Abraham always came back to God and God said, let's keep going. And then he had Isaac. Isaac had his time. I won't go through all of these people, but Isaac had his day where he was faithful. He loved God as a young lad. Mary's right. Stays married and everything, but he turns bitter. He turns very carnal. It's towards the end of his life. He is not a faithful man. He's not a godly man. And yet God's grace brought about another son named Jacob. And old Jacob, <laughs> Jacob was a hustler. He would talk you out of your money as fast as a car salesman. He ended up marrying four wives. He made everyone he ever met and knew mad at him. God gave him grace and he humbled him and was able to change his name to Israel. He took him from a hustler and made him a prince with God. And Jacob has a son named Judas in verse 2. Jacob begat Judas and all his brethren, 12 brethren as a matter of fact, the 12 tribes. And Judah's not a godly man either. He saw an opportunity to make some fast money when all of his brothers hated his brother. Remember his brother's name was Joseph. And instead of making money off of selling rocks or corn or whatever, he sold his brother. And it was his idea. Judah had an idea to sell his own brother. And I know many of you had the same idea when you were growing up. But he had the idea to sell Joseph to Egypt and to the Ishmaelites and to get rid of him once for all. And it was Judah's idea. And that wasn't the worst of it. Judah, as he got older, he stepped out on his own marriage and he committed adultery himself. He was a wicked man. If you knew him, you would stay away from him. But there came a time where he humbled himself and God said, if you'll humble yourself, I'll start over with you. And God did. And God's grace was poured out on Judah. And Judah continued the plan. Every one of these names, you could write the word grace next to. Not perfection. Not godly. Not right. They're all messed up. And so God gave Judah two boys, Pharaoh and Zarah. Pharaoh begets Ezram, Ezram begets Aram, Aram begets Abinadab. Each one of these are described in the Old Testament there. Then comes Nason, Salmon, Boaz, Obed, Jesse, down to David. You remember David, don't you? He's known as the sweet psalmist of Israel, the giant slayer. He's the man after God's own heart, but don't forget he has a past, doesn't he? 
adultery with Bathsheba, the murder of her husband, and the cover-up of his own sins. But God had grace. Aren't you glad for grace? God had great and marvelous and amazing grace to cover all those sins. Not because God just said, it's okay, David. It was never okay. It is never okay. The past that we bring to God is not okay. We should never have done such and such. We should never break God's laws. We should never hurt other people. We should not live selfishly. But how do we come to God? Broken. Messed up, man. How was your Christmas? Half of you'd say, man, it was a mess. <laughs> Nothing went right. Turkeys burnt. Hams rubbery. Kids live outside on the roof. <laughs> in the Husbands in the doghouse. You can, you can be honest and say, God, we messed up. Amen. That's where grace meets you. You cannot earn his gifts. David the king continued that plan that God had. Look there in verse, uh, verse 6. Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat another man named Solomon. Now we come to the second group. Going from David through his son Solomon all the way down to a guy named Jeconias. Let me read 6 down. Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Uriah. That's Bathsheba. And Solomon begat Rehoboam, and Rehoboam begat Abiah, and Abiah begat Asa, and Asa begat Josaphat, and Josaphat begat Joram, and Joram begat Ozias. And Ozias begat Jotham, and Jotham begat Achaz, and Achaz begat Ezekias. That's Hezekiah. And Ezekias begat Manasseh, and Manasseh begat Ammon, and Ammon begat Josias. And Josias begat a guy named Jeconias and his brethren about the time they were defeated as a nation. They were conquered as a nation. They were carried away as slaves to Babylon. Not to Egypt again, but on to Babylon. They were defeated. They were conquered. Now we're in this second group. David has a son named Solomon. What a past Solomon has. You see, he started off well when he took the, the, the kingdom from David, when he became king. He was very wise. He was very humble. He was very soft-hearted. He was very compassionate. And he was very dependent upon God. But a lot of money will ruin anybody. And he got absolute power and almost infinite money. And what did he turn into? One of the most selfish creatures you'd ever meet. He ends up one of the biggest idiots, Egypt, you'd ever meet. He married 700 women. I mean, that's not smart. This guy is every vice, everything he wanted to do, he did. He lived for himself, and for decades, he was away from God. He was backslidden. He was carnal. He built great monuments big city Jerusalem was made to where silver was like stones on the street. Everybody was wealthy in his day and nobody needed God. And that was Solomon. But in the end of his life, you know what he has to say? What a waste. It has all been worthless. There in that brokenness at the end of his life, he writes, you know what? I was stupid. And the best thing I should have done and anybody should have done was to fear God and live by his commandments. And God said, all right, I'll use you now. And God's grace was poured out, and he has a son, Rehoboam. Rehoboam was not that smart. 
He got up there, tried to act like his daddy and split the nation in two. Had a civil war because of his own arrogance. Roboam has Abia, who has Asa, who has Josaphat, who has Joram and Hosias and Jotham and Achaz and Hezekiah. And then Manasseh. Mm. Hezekiah was such a godly dad who had his history, but let's just move to Manasseh. Manasseh was the most wicked king who's ever, ever been listed in your Bible. Manasseh did far more than anybody could have ever dreamed. It, 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 the Bible records him as the most evil man who ever reigned in Israel. How can, how can God help that? Well, God humbled him. He was taken away and put in prison. And there he humbled himself and he said, I was wrong. And in that repentance, God said, okay, here's my grace. It's been waiting here for you all along. Let's see if I can do something with your life. And he does. Manasseh has a son named Ammon. Ammon has Josiah. Josiah then has a guy named Jeconias. About the time they were carried away to Babylon, Jeconias also was so evil. He had made Israel to where all they did was they worshiped every, if there was a tree there and it was in the shape of, of you know, of something you know, like an angel or whatever, they would worship the tree, even though it was just an accident. They worshiped everything there. And God stepped back and allowed the Babylonian army under Nebuchadnezzar to conquer Israel, to capture them and take them away to Babylon as slaves. It was such a sad day that God had to let his own people be conquered and slaughtered and taken as slaves. But it was not the end, because God's grace doesn't give up. It keeps working. You know what Romans 5.20 says this? The law entered. We had to have the law that the offense might abound, which means that I might know just how sinful I am. But where sin abounded, where sin was so much, grace did also much more abound. There's always more grace to help cover my sin. He goes on there, read down in verse 12. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconias begat Salathiel, and Salathiel begat Zerubbabel. Did I forget to mention four women? Did you notice back there in verse 3, there was a woman named Tamar. She was a harlot. That's the woman that Judah messed around with. How about Rechab? Rechab was also a harlot who, living in, in the, the walled city of Jericho, she was afraid of the God of the Israelites but when those two spies came in and she talked to him she said I will follow that your God and by a scarlet thread by the by just the grace of God she signaled I'm trusting your God and all of that city was defeated except her and her family and she got in on the grace of God Rachab Ruth she wasn't a Jew either she was a Moabite she was an enemy of the people of God and yet she gets into the line of the Messiah and Bathsheba. David has 99.9% of the percent of the, of the responsibility for what happened when he committed adultery. But oh, Bathsheba, she was not faithful to her husband. And yet there she is. Over and over, here is a story told again and again at Christmas that God's amazing grace brought all of these people through plan to bring the Messiah into the world. See, Christmas is not about saints and perfect people. It's about God having grace on messed up people, bringing through one group of people a Savior through His people. 
Oh, those arrogant, rebellious, sinful Jewish people. And he brought it for us. I'm glad the Bible shows all sides. I've had people come to me and say, why is that in the Bible? What, what, why would that be in the Bible? Because God is honest, and he shows us as we really are. And the sooner we admit who we really are, the sooner we can get it on the plan of God's grace. Then we come to group three. This is the group, the kings are done. With Jaconias, he's the last king. No more kings, and yet the plan continues. Verse 13, and Zerubbabel begat Abiad, and Abiad begat Eliakim, and Eliakim begat Azor, and Azor begat Sadok, and Sadok begat Achim, and Achim begat Eliad. And Eliad begat Eleazar, and Eleazar begat Mathan, and Mathan begat Jacob. And Jacob begat a guy named Joseph, ah, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Now through there is the history of Israel coming back from Babylon under Ezra and Nehemiah, rebuilding the temple, rebuilding uh, Jerusalem walls. <clears throat> and person after person, none of them were perfect. None of them were saints. But they were all recipients of God's grace. These three groups of imperfect people with all their failures and sins that it could ever be allowed, come to, pair, come to conclusion in verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. That's 42 generations. And yet through that list of messed up people, look at verse 18. Now, I like how that word now is right there. Think of the power of that word. Now, after all that history, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, he was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, he's trying to be a godly man, he's trying to do right, not willing to make her a public example, he's found out his wife is pregnant without him. How'd you feel? I don't care if she says, it's the Holy Ghost. You go, yeah, no. He feels robbed. He feels like everything's messed up. That's Christmas. But while I thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, it's time to have a chat. Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. I know it's hard to trust and understand. You don't need to care what anybody else thinks. I want you to take her to be thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And then what happens? Look in verse chapter 2 and verse 1. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Remember, for the last section there, they're waiting for the coming of Messiah. Verse 1, now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea in the days of Herod the king, they had a king, but he wasn't the right king. Behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? What a thought that God would go through all of that to bring him into this world. What is the goal of God's grace? All this unmerited kindness throughout history. Why all that effort? Why would you give kindness and, 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 
give good things to people who don't deserve it? Why give your own son? The answer is found in Matthew 121. Go back there and look at it again. And she shall bring forth a son and thou shalt call his name Jesus for he shall create a big holiday. No, that's not why he came. Do you know what? This world's economy would collapse if it weren't for Christmas. Happy Hanukkah wouldn't make one one hundredth or one one thousandth of the income of these businesses if it weren't for Christmas. But that's not why Jesus came. For he shall save his people from, from their sins. You know, one of our Christmas carols says, to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy, tidings of comfort and joy. Grace makes forgiveness possible. History has never been full of good people, only real people, messed up people, broken people, sinful people. And so when you go home and you maybe had your tree and maybe you've had your Christmas and as you gather around your family, would you not look at them for that moment? Would you open your Bible and decide to read Luke chapter 2 or Matthew chapter 2? I don't care where you begin and realize the grace of all the past leading up to Christmas is here today. And don't you dare look at anybody else's past. Don't even look at your past. And just realize God, if you're alive, God is being gracious and kind to you and me, isn't he? He's being better to us than we deserve, amen? And if God's grace is on us, we, ought to be, we better be getting into God's plan and let's see where it goes because every one of those 42 generations had no idea where it was going, but wow, what a ride. Focus on Jesus. Focus on him. Do not let your children be the center of attention or the focus of Christmas. Don't let your parents, don't let anybody else let Jesus be the reason for the season. And then everybody will fall in line and go, wow, this was a good Christmas. Because it wasn't about us. It's about him. And then his grace becomes the best gift ever. Nothing else. Because that's what's available to us all. If you would only humble yourself like a little child this morning and accept Jesus as the gift. I'm not, there's no baptismal water up here. There's no holy water. There's no Eucharist. There's no... There's nothing up here. There's Jesus Christ that you need in your heart and in your life. But it doesn't come in there storming in. He comes in knocking and waiting for you to say, come on in. I receive you now. I didn't know where to go looking. I didn't know how to earn it. I didn't think I ever could. And I realize it's a gift. I accept it now. Let's stand. Let's bow in prayer. <clears throat> Father in heaven, I love Christmas. I don't love the mess of it. I don't love how the devil loves to just jump in and mess things up and stir up the pot and everything and make everything go wrong. That's what he does, and I don't really care. I just love Christmas because I've seen what you can do with broken people. I've seen what you can do with messed up situations. I've seen what you can do with a stable and a barn and a manger and a wearied woman. Lord, I've seen what you can do with grace on just anybody 
who would receive it. You're very kind to this world. Just the majority of people abuse it and reject it. And no wonder they go to hell. But if somebody would receive it this morning, it would change not only their destination, it would change their life, change their home, just like that testimony of that young man reading the New Testament, that man in, in Morocco. So God, I pray that you would draw close to us this morning as we seek to draw close to you and that our homes would be filled with your presence. And if anybody needs to get saved, I pray they cry out to you right now and get it done. Lord, we love you. I thank you for Christmas. In spite of all the mess, I thank you for Jesus. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.